Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're going to talk about being brave. In fact, our guest is Joe Mall, and at the 2022 Influence Conference in Nashville, he was one of the featured keynote speakers, and his talk was called Fortune Favors the Brave. And it was so impactful, I said, Joe, you've got to come on Speakernomics and share this with a wider audience. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. I'm excited to be here. All right. So, Joe, what are your two tips for speakers on how to be more brave in business? Okay. The first is reduce fear-driven decision-making. And the second is to be brave for one minute. All right, this is going to be a fantastic episode, so I hope you're all ready. We're going to learn a little bit about how you can be just a little more brave as you run your business. But for those of you who don't know Joe Mall, Joe teaches leaders to be better bosses. He speaks and writes about commitment in the workplace and really helps those who are in charge do a better job at serving their employees. He has been doing this full-time as a speaker for nine years, but he has been involved in this work for over 20 years. He is a CSP, and he is a national board member for the National Speakers Association. And if you're a podcast listener, oh, wait, you all are because you're here right now. He is the host of Boss Better Now, a podcast that'll help you be a better boss. So, Joe, I want to jump right into this and talk about the tips that you have. Number one was reduce fear-driven decision-making. What do you mean by that? Well, Tom, early on in my career, after I had started my own business, I was doing a lot of small group training. That was really the heart and soul of the work that I was doing. And I was pretty fearless in those environments. I would try a lot of different kinds of things to see what worked with audiences. I would use a lot of games and interaction and silliness that was born out of my personality. But when I started doing more keynote work and stepping onto bigger stages, I stopped doing those things. And I I was thinking a lot at the time that that what was most important was for me to be taken seriously for my content, for people to think that what I was sharing and doing was smart and really substantive. Uh, And so I sacrificed all of that playfulness. And you can probably guess what was happening. I wasn't really connecting with those audiences as much as I had in those small group training environments. 
And when I finally realized that it was that silliness and it was that playfulness that made the small group work work, I started adding it back into my keynote work. And so lo and behold, I was getting better reactions from those audiences. I was making better connections. And so I realized that I was not taking certain actions in service to my audience because I was prioritizing my ego over their experience. And so I was making decisions that were fear-driven. And so I, I realized that what I needed to start doing was say yes to many of the things that scared me the most in this work. So it's so interesting to hear you say that because in in my time in the speaking industry, I certainly have fallen prey to this as well, but I've seen a lot of people and the way I describe it is they often think when they take the big stage or even if they're doing training, when they step into a role, they think, "Uh oh, everyone's going to be judging me. I had better be speaker man or speaker woman. Mm -hmm. And so they're scared to let their entire self come through. Why do you think that is? Well, I think we get ideas about what people will think is quote unquote professional uh, versus if I play with my personality, are there going to be some people in the room who think it's, you know, fluff or they, they think it's obnoxious, right? You know, we've all seen trainers, speakers, podcasters, you name it, who maybe turn up the elements of their personality to 11 and then it does become those things. So I think there's a balance to be struck. Uh, and I think that sometimes we get afraid to even try to strike that balance and bring some of those elements in. So fear is something that really can paralyze people. I've experienced it. A lot of people have experienced it. Have you done some research around fear and, and sort of how it impacts people? I have not. Uh, I'm not a fear expert. Uh, I am really just sharing the experience I've had growing my business and, and what has worked and what hasn't. I think that there are times when I will notice I'm making a fear-based decision. Here's a perfect example. And, 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 and I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, because I, I come to this audience not with mastery over the subject, but just with conviction, right? Even just a few weeks ago, I was invited to be the, the keynote speaker for a statewide hospital association. And I knew the room was going to be filled with these uh, administrators and physicians. It was going to be a mix. And I talk to these groups a lot. So I'm very familiar and comfortable with the audience. And almost always that mix is 80% administrators, 20% physicians. And in most cases, it's 80% women across the board. And I have learned what works and what really connects with these audiences. But on this particular day, when I walked in the room, probably 85, 90% of the people in the room were men over the age of 55. It was all physicians, very few administrators. And I immediately started reconsidering what I had planned to open with. I had planned uh, a kind of interactive game to really set the stage for the big idea I was going to be talking about. And I felt myself immediately wanting to pull back from that and thinking, okay, these are physicians. Th these guys have been around the block for a while. I don't think they're going to connect with what I had planned. And I actually cracked my laptop with 30 minutes before I was supposed to start. And I pulled up the slide deck to start making edits. And I caught myself. I had that little voice in my, said, in my head that said, hold on a second. You are making a decision right now that is based in fear of what might happen or what people might say. This activity that you have planned at the start of this program has worked every single time you've done it. Don't let your fear change your plan. 
You've committed to this. It's going to work. So just go with it. And I did. And it did. It worked great for that audience. And so I don't have mastery over it, Tom. I still struggle with it. I still have to be aware and notice where I'm making those fear-based decisions and react to it accordingly. Well, this is a great segue into your second tip. So your second tip is be brave for one minute. What do you mean by that? And, and how does this all tie together? Sure. Well, a number of years ago, my nine-year-old at the time, daughter Lily, came to us and announced that she wanted to audition for a local community theater production and uh, asked if we would help her with that. And my bachelor's degree is in music and theater. And so, of course, at home, I was going, yes, let's go, Lily. I was so excited for her to, to step into that world and want to do some of those things. But when she found out that an audition would require her to sing by herself for a short amount of time, uh, she shut down pretty quick. I watched the enthusiasm drain from her body. Uh, and so over the course of a couple of days, we tried to encourage her and help her overcome that fear. And I ended up settling on this mantra with her, which is that auditions only require us to be brave for one minute. And I told her that that's really all it is. If you can uh, be brave for one minute, it'll opens the door to something that you really want. And we just have to decide if we're willing to be uncomfortable for one minute uh, in order to experience all the good things that could come after. And so uh, one of the things I shared on stage at Influence was that story about Lily and how it's opened a lot of doors for her. And now she's doing a lot of performing and she's been in a couple of shows and it was all because she decided to be brave for one minute. And so for me in my business, I catch myself constantly saying, you know what, show up and don't worry about it going perfectly. It's really just about showing up and being brave for one minute because success is about just showing up and being willing to try. So I want to go deeper into this, but I don't want to let this, this part of the story go by. Okay. When you did your keynote at Influence, you brought Lily out onto the stage after telling that story yeah. and she sang yes. in front of a thousand professional speakers. Now, how old is she now? And how scared was she to do that? Because she was phenomenal Thank and you. brought the room to a combination of like tears and applause. Yeah. So tell us about the decision as a keynote speaker, who's been invited to your own trade association yeah. to have yeah. that spotlight to say, you know what? I'm going to share the spotlight with my daughter. How did that all take place? And then what was the experience? Oh, thanks for asking, Tom. And thank you for the kind words. Yeah, she was amazing. She's 11 now. Uh, and so this whole uh, foray into theater for her really was right started right before COVID, right before the pandemic. And um, that all came about in a couple of ways. We were uh, singing a song together, driving somewhere, and she, I thought she sounded great. And when the song was over, I said, hey, you sound really great. You know, we should sing that somewhere together. And she just off the cuff said, well, maybe I'll go with you on one of your trips sometime and we'll do it in one of your keynotes. And I thought, hmm. And so as I got an invitation to uh, speak on the main stage at Influence uh, and focusing on this topic, I knew I wanted to share that brave for one minute story. And so as I was talking with Lily about it, it just came to the idea that maybe she would come out and sing with me. But I told her it would be her decision. I wasn't going to make her do it. I needed her to decide to do it because I knew she would be nervous and I knew it would be something that um, she had to work herself up for. Uh, and so as we worked together and, and did a lot of preparation for her, um, she did have some bouts of nerves, but she continued to work on overcoming it. Uh, at one point, 
with just about two weeks to go, I checked in with her and just said, Hey, you know, you seem like you're really nervous about this. Or do you want to delay it? Do we want to talk about a different way? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm really nervous, but I want to do it anyway. Uh, I want to inspire people. And, uh, and you're right. She came out and she was very nervous, but we had done enough preparation that she knew what to expect. And I completely agree with you, Tom. She was the best part of the whole thing. And I couldn't be prouder of her. (laughs) So she was scared, but she was brave for one minute. She came out on stage and did this, but there was also a backstory about you singing on stage at influence that was in your keynote. Tell us about that and how you'd never done that before and decided to do it influence, which again, I can think of every other professional speaker I know, whether or not they had a background in musical theater, yeah. who, if they had never done this in their keynote, yeah. would never do it at influence. Right, right. Well, uh, my background, as I said, I have a bachelor's degree in music and music is a big part of my life. And I have always wanted to maybe tinker with bringing music into my speaking And a number of years ago, when I was really first building my business, I ended up uh, meeting and connecting with Hall of Fame speaker David Glickman. And um, he and I got to know each other a little bit. And we have uh, music and fan and and, uh, musical theater in common. Uh, We're both big fans of that. Uh, And he ended up asking me, so are you singing then in your keynotes, Joe? And I said, no, I'm not. You know, I've always wanted to try it, but I haven't really figured out how to make that work, right? That whole thing just feels awkward to me. Like, hey, here's the latest employee engagement data. And now show tunes, you know, I just hadn't figured out how to, how to <laughs> meld that together. And, you know, he said to me, yeah, but Joe, if that's your gift, you have to at least try. And then he said, promise me at some point in the next year that you'll try it, even if it's just once. And I said, okay, I promise. And then I didn't. And a number of years went by and I realized that I was not trying because I was afraid. And so when I got invited to speak at Influence and I knew I was going to tackle this topic, I knew I had to do absolutely everything on stage that scared me to death. Otherwise, I'd be a hypocrite. Because really that message and and the the focus of this conversation, too, is that we have to be willing to experiment and fail on stage to truly serve the people who come to see us in the audience. Uh, And so that's when I decided that I had to sing as part of my program at Influence. So, like I said, it was, it, it was a great program, and I loved the fact that you took yourself out of your comfort zone and, you know, were brave, and that Lily came out and joined you, like I said, was phenomenal. So, let's go back to this message for, for, for this podcast, and that is, you know, being brave in business. So, beyond just what you do on stage, yeah. there's a lot of things that can be scary for speakers. For a lot of people who are listening, they still have a full-time job. They dream about making that leap that you made nine years ago to take their their talents and the work that they've done to take it to audiences. And for other people, we're coming out of the pandemic. And a lot of people have struggled with their businesses and they're really fighting kind of a new world, right? I mean, we're still seeing a lot of conferences that are using the speakers they paid for two years ago. So there's, yep. there's still less business out there and more people got into the speaking business during this time. So a lot of people are in a scarcity mentality. Mm -hmm. So let's move away from a second from on stage Mm -hmm. and get into just plain business. How can people be more brave and move their speaking business forward? You know, I think we have to recognize the difference between being responsible and being too careful. 
when I'd encourage folks to take more risks in their business or to be brave for one minute, it, it's not uh, pushing people to be reckless, right? If you've got zero dollars in revenue, turning around and hiring three full-time staff is probably not the way to go. Uh, but I think we can be too careful. I think we can hold back from quoting that higher fee or hold back from trying that new kind of program or that new initiative that we might want to offer up to a client or to an audience because we're afraid it might fail. And that's why I think for anybody listening, it's very likely that achieving the next level in their business isn't about breaking into that new niche or writing that book or launching that program. It's being willing to try and fail. That will often make the difference between achieving that next level. I'll give you an example. When we were coming out of the pandemic, we had in my team the idea to create a subscription-based video learning program for clients. And it was really a reaction to wanting to continue serving the folks that we served. Uh, but we had never done anything like that before. And it would have been really easy to just say, you know what? I don't think that's going to work. I don't know if this is something that people are going to want. But we decided to, to take a leap. And we did that leap after doing our homework, right? And talking to people that we had worked with and looking at what has worked previously obviously for other folks who had done similar kinds of things. And then we took that leap. And so it's not unmitigated risk. It's, it's calculated fearlessness, I think, in a lot of ways that people need to be more intentional about. You bring up a really interesting point, and that is you did the homework. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, you know, we wake up inspired in the morning with an idea and we just assume, oh, this is a great idea. I mean, I've done this with several programs that that never went anywhere. I, I never really asked anybody. Yeah. I just thought everyone's going to love this. And I moved forward and nobody loved this. So how important is it to do that homework and talk to potential clients and past clients and, and, and other speakers and things like that to get that guidance? If you're going to be brave and try something new, how important is it to, to do the research up front? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty important. Uh, I think sometimes we can spend too much time getting ready to get ready, right? And we can we can tell ourselves that, well, I need more information. Uh, oftentimes, we will want to be certain before taking a risk, but if we're certain, that's not really taking a risk. Uh, and so doing homework is important. Uh, I don't think people should take action blind, but we also have to recognize when we're overdoing it and maybe when we're allowing fear to say, well, I need more information or I need to take more time or I need to be more careful. Uh, so we have have to split the uprights a little bit, Tom. So Joe, give us some more examples about how to be brave for that one minute. Well, I think we have to experiment in our work, whether it's on stage or in how we design and deliver our products and services to audiences. Uh, so for example, a couple of years ago, when I was kind of trying to bridge that gap between training and keynoting, I decided I was going to experiment with my audiences a little bit more just by taking questions to them and walking around with them. And that can be really scary for folks because you're working without a net a little bit, right? You, you don't have total control of every word that's coming out in the program. Uh, and that decision ended up being one of the best programs I had ever done because I turned over some ideas to the audience. I was able to play with them, interact with them. Uh, and it led to me doing that much more often. Uh, another example is notice when people are laughing or having a reaction in your programs, right? If you, have you ever done a program where you get an unexpected laugh or you, you get a reaction that you weren't expecting taking the time to notice that to sit back afterwards and say what was that about and and is there something there more that i can play with or that i can expand on could take us in a, a different direction 
I also pay attention to downloads that I get in real time when I'm in front of an audience. So if I have the idea to add an, another example or a concept or to venture off on a different kind of idea path with an audience, I will give myself the space and the freedom to try that uh, and to experiment with it in real time, even if it hasn't been tested before with an audience, because oftentimes that's where the best moments come from. You know, that thing about paying attention to the audience reaction and being willing to go to that next step really resonated with me long, long time ago, way before I was a professional speaker. I was the master of ceremonies for the Austin Chamber of Commerce Awards Dinner. Now, this is like 18 years ago, and Austin, Texas's Chamber of Commerce used to be one of the largest chambers in the country because we didn't have a lot of suburbs. So we weren't broken up to like North Austin and South Austin and things like we are now. So the awards banquet was a thousand people. And they asked me, because I had the, the skill of doing it, I guess, to, to be the MC, but I'd never emceed anything like that. I'd never been in front of an audience of a thousand people. Hmm. And the stage had been decorated with large, giant cardboard cutouts of the skyline of the city. And at the time I worked for Wells Fargo on the 16th floor of the Wells Fargo building. And I knew on the big giant cutout, which was mine, because there was a balcony one floor above. And I always wished I had had the balcony and through the entire program. And I was being speaker man or MC man <laughs> through the whole program. Every time I caught that like seven foot cutout behind me, I wanted to run over and hug it and point at the window and go, that's my office. <laughs> And I didn't do it. Mm. And I didn't do it because I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was afraid the chamber might get mad if I was silly on stage. And I didn't do it. And the next day I told someone I almost did it. And they're like, oh, that would have been cute. You really should have done it. It would have been funny. And from that day forward, I always swore if on stage my gut said do something. Yeah. I would do it. And so that really, really resonated because I think that that's really important for, for a lot of speakers to be able to do exactly what you said. And that is pay attention to the vibe of the audience and be willing to follow your gut because that's essentially being brave for one minute, right? Absolutely. And and one of the things that I talked about at the session in Influence is that, you know, there's not an accomplished speaker on the planet who hasn't bombed. Uh, who hasn't gone out there and tried something and had it not work. And I would argue that they are accomplished in the business just because of that, because they have had the experience of tinkering and experimenting and, and having something not work and going, oh, okay, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to. Let's learn from that. But let's not allow that failure to pull me back or to keep me from continuing to try new things. So if you do something on stage, if you follow your gut and take that advice and it falls flat, like wah, 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 how do you recover to make sure that you can continue on and get back into the flow? You know, I'm a big, I've referenced it a couple of times, but I'm a big fan of preparation. So I've always have a couple of different ideas in my pocket that maybe I wasn't going to use, but for one reason or another, you know, maybe the speaker ahead of you comes up short. Maybe then maybe there's uh, an, an activity or an engagement piece that doesn't take nearly as much time as you thought it was, it would, or maybe there's something that you try that just doesn't work. And so I may have a couple of other things that I could pull out and maybe there are things that I know work because I've used them previously. And so that'll help me get back on track. What I don't do is go, Oh boy, that didn't work. Let's, uh, let's try to recover from that. I guess I, I tried and you know, uh, you don't kind of point to the awkwardness for the audience. Uh, you, you just keep going and you keep moving forward. Uh, but here's the thing, Tom, I think people in the audience, most of the time are actually human. 
and they absolutely appreciate uh, a speaker who is bringing energy, bringing personality, trying some different things and, and trying not to just lecture for an hour. And so I, I think that more often than not, even if something doesn't go over as big as we might think it could, just the effort to try is appreciated. All right. So as we wrap this up, the theme is fortune favors the brave. What have we not touched on around this idea of being brave on stage or in business that you think the audience really should like walk away with to give them that oomph of bravery? I think taking more risks in our business and being willing to fail and constantly experimenting is the essential ingredient to finding and growing an audience. Uh, I think what, what we've learned in this business after even just a few minutes in this business is if we are stepping onto the stage and not showing up as our complete authentic selves, if we're holding something back or we're trying to be something we're not, the audience knows. Uh, and so if we want to find and grow and serve an audience, we have to be ourselves. We have to take those risks and we have to bring our full component of gifts and personality to the work that we do. When we do that, we will find and grow and serve our audience. Well, Joe Mall, thank you so much for being a guest here on Speakernomics, the official podcast of the National Speakers Association. Thank you, Tom. Great to be with you. Hey, and thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know what? We do this show every single week, and I want you to come back every Tuesday because you're going to find more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and be a better speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast. Speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.